Welcome to Above the Garage. Hi, friends. Today's our first recording after Roe versus Wade was overturned. Yesterday was a terrible day for America. It's hard to do a podcast about a television show in the wake of what's happening in the world right now, but of all the television shows in the world, we're proud to be discussing and calling attention to this one right now. Margaret Atwood was sadly prophetic when she wrote this book almost 40 years ago, and Bruce Miller brought it to the screen at the most relevant time in America as Trump was empowering hatred towards women and minorities. For me, the show has changed my outlook and my actions. I no longer say that can't happen in America about anything, really. So you have to wake up and fight. You have to vote in every election. You need to make calls and write letters. You need to go to the protests for the sake of our daughters. So much of the show is about the consequences of living happily in your bubble while the world collapses around you. And that's what's happening right now. Imagine a world where your children get murdered at school by other children with automatic weapons. Imagine a world where you have to discourage your daughter from getting a job in half of the states in America, just in case she might have a life-threatening pregnancy in a state where they will not choose her life over an unborn fetus. The current reality of America. My husband and I had to use IVF to have our babies. We were very lucky and we have 11 extra embryos. Pregnancy was dangerous for me. And even if it wasn't, I can't have those 11 extra embryos. They're currently in storage in a conservative state. We happen to be donating the embryos to a couple that couldn't have children. But what happens to people like me that aren't comfortable having strangers raise their biological children? I assume in conservative states, those women will no longer have the option of donating their extra embryos to science. Will they be forced to carry them? There are just so many millions of horrible implications of yesterday's news that are impossible to even process. I'll stop now, but please wake up and do everything you can to fight for our children's rights. Okay, so. Hi, I'm Ginger. Hi, I'm Medisa. Hi, I'm Yulia. Hi, I'm Scarlett. And I'm Kate. So this episode opens with June staring up at like seven to 10 hanging Marthas. And she has a voiceover that says heresy. That's what they're hanging for. Not being part of the resistance because officially there is no resistance. Not for helping people escape because officially there's no such thing as escape. They hang for being heretics, not martyrs. Martyrs inspire. Heretics are just stupid. Was I being stupid? And she continues, I don't think Cora is up there. I don't think Lawrence would do that. And then Alma and Janine walk up and ask if they recognize anyone. And they point out that it's impossible to tell that this is the same batch as yesterday and the day before. Maybe they're done with Martha's, but who's next? And then June's voice, June voices over again. If I'm going to survive this, I'm going to need allies, allies with power. How many did they hang? When I heard the word batch, uh, I was like, are they making bread or something? Oh, <laughs> it's like the most common thing. They walk by, they look at all those buddies. Oh, it's the same as two days before. Batch. So didn't they hang new ones what a shame I wanted to see more no are those the same women that we were you know applauding and just really loving seeing the Martha Network work at the end of season two are those the women that ran her from yard to yard that are now hanging up there and they're just an anonymous batch of women by calling them like a batch of women it coincides with what we see later in this episode with the way they discuss those women brought in from Chicago they're anonymous, like they're animals, a batch, like you're a batch of food or something. Like you're you're not seen as a human mm-hmm. or an individual. It's so amazing how they also kind of get used to it, seeing the bodies, you know, when we see from the first season to how it's just normal to see them hanging there. When I was talking about being dressed in the episodes before, well, I think the previous episode was about gaining trust. This is all about making allies and um, it's also uh, about understand how the system works 
because she makes reckless decisions because she still doesn't understand how Gilead or the resistance works. But when it's time to do or not to do something. And very interesting how Florence is teaching her mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and then she's back at Lawrence's and thinking... To be a man watched by women must be entirely strange. To have them watching him all the time. To have them flinch when he moves. To have them wondering what it is he is going to do next. Does he like me? Will he keep me? Am I safe here? Cora wasn't. And then the new Martha speaks up. And June's trying to help Beth, but Beth is like super nervous. I feel like the overall feeling in the house is insane, like anxiety at this moment. She even looks kind of like sweaty. Uh, apparently the commanders are coming to his house. Sienna says she learned from her commander that he's so powerful that he won't go to meetings. They come to him. And then Lawrence is yelling and we learn Sienna's name. So I felt like Lawrence was testing them and kind of trying to make the mood in the house really like somber. And June's been kind of cocky. And now that all these commanders are coming to the house, like I feel like he wants everybody to kind of be scared and on edge so that when the commanders come, they don't see these women thinking they have power in his house where Lawrence wants the power. Yeah, it's a good point. He's good at that. He makes sure they know they're all disposable. It's funny too, when Lawrence is getting seen a shit about not being clean, because it's literally just her knee that's wet from the mess that he made right from cleaning up his spill but she Mm -hmm. can't take it she's about to cry his behavior is just so inconsistent that it keeps them on edge and nervous the doorbell rings and june offers to open it and he asks if she's capable of making decisions which is foreshadowing for later and he asks what the penalty is for handmaids opening the door what do you think the penalty should be i don't know it's a fucked up world you dreamt up dude but he gets up and says forget it i guess you're not capable He asked the same thing to Emily when she was reading the book. So I think that's kind of like another test he's doing just to see what the handmaids think. It was pretty much the same question. Yeah, Yeah. also like just how how much she's overstepping her boundaries, I think. I feel like he's trying to make her question herself because she's gotten too confident thinking, oh, he helped Emily get out. He's letting the Marthas run their own thing underground. So now she thinks she can do what she wants and he's putting her in her place and reminding her, you're not in charge here and you don't get to do whatever you want to. I mean, we left off in episode two with him regretting to have brought her in the house, actually. Um, And he said she's like, worst kind of women she always takes and takes and takes and doesn't know the consequences and I think yeah as you said he wants to put her in her place to show what consequences are coming if she's not being not so reckless anymore Mm -hmm. I also think he's toughening her up in a way I mean it's the weird way to do so but I think he's as he tests her he's teaching her exactly how she needs to play the game in Gilead and then the commanders are there, and Warren says the shipment of females from the colonies arrived yesterday. Lauren says they have needs in the agricultural colonies. Is that where we saw Mom Holly with the tree? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Then June sees Fred walk in, and, and she seems excited, presumably because she was just talking about needing powerful allies. Mm-hmm. And she says that she hopes that he and Serena are well, and he questions that disbelievingly. And June genuinely asks if Serena's okay, and says she's tough and she will be. And then she asks what he knows about Lawrence, and Fred says he's interesting and instrumental in Gilead's creation, but hard to read. Uh, she tries flattering Fred. If you can't read him, I don't know who can. And Fred, <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I know. It eats it right <laughs> up, though, right? Even in that scene, though, he looks so goddamn creepy. Like This whole episode, amazing. he looks extra creepy. Is it extra? Okay, because mm-hmm. I was like, Jesus, it never lays, he never lays off the creepiness. 
And Fred says, Lawrence is a survivor and he's not sentimental like me. And June continues kissing his ass and calls him merciful. The fact that she's still alive proves that. I suppose that is actually true. Yay, Fred. Oh, she says she will always be grateful to him for that, which is complete bullshit. But she basically tells him she won't survive this house without him giving her intel and advice on Lawrence. And Fred says he does not like to be bored, which is, I assume, precisely why Lawrence chose Emily and June. Lawrence then crashes their party and they break up. And when Fred leaves, he asks if she's working hard. And when she says yes, he says, at what? She's trying to figure you out, Lawrence, but he's such a hard nut for her to crack. This is where June's journey to find allies kind of started. And their big goal is definitely Lawrence. But she does not know anything about Lawrence. So she needs Fred's intel. She later asks Nick um, what he knows about Lawrence because she needs mm -hmm. his intel as well. And when he couldn't give her that, she resorted to, okay, can you at least help me? Right. Like get me out or something or get Hannah out. So yeah, I thought that it was like really interesting that she um, kind of takes the steps to yeah. get to the biggest fish in the yeah. pond, kind of. Yeah. I also got the sense too that like, she was slightly relieved to see Fred in a way because I think she just feels so like out of her element with Lawrence because she just cannot pin this guy down. She doesn't know what he's about and if she should trust him or be afraid of him. So I felt like in a way, like she kind of seemed, I guess, slightly happy to see Fred because at least in that house, obviously it was terrible, but she could manipulate him. She could read him. She could play Serena. She had Nick there. She had Rita. Now she's in a place where she's basically on her own. She doesn't have an ally right now. And then she doesn't understand. Like he's so inconsistent in his behavior. Mm -hmm. I think he chooses these women because obviously he doesn't like to be bored, but I think he sees a purpose on them. Or a way that, as the episode's name, they can be useful. And I think he chose Emily, obviously, because Emily had a pretty big rap sheet. But I think he decided to choose June because he just couldn't understand why she didn't leave. Um, and I think that's what got her into that house. That's kind of like the perception I had when I was rewatching all four episodes last night. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's baffling to him. Hmm. I think she learns at the end of the episode pretty much... I mean, and throughout the season, how to how to work him. Like I, I think Lawrence had this idea of building this ideal world with a higher purpose, um, like an utopia of some sorts. And I don't think he he really believes in what Gilead stands for in terms of how they treat women and the whole religious hypocrisy that they have going on. Like he was just looking towards something else. And I think we kind of find out throughout this episode exactly what he was looking for. Serena's smoking on the beach at her mom's place, depressed, and her mom says her prayer circle's coming over, and she wants Serena to participate, and she's making excuses, but her mom's, like, pushing her, so she has a dress for her, and then Rita's helping her into it. Even the dress, I feel like, kind of emphasizes her lack of security. It doesn't look, she doesn't look like Serena. Like, it annoyed me, I guess. Like, the mom, obviously, she's not very caring or empathetic. You don't think you know, so? She's, no, I don't. <laughs> it's clear that she's telling Serena about this prayer circle because she wants to show her off she's like oh you're a great conversationalist and it's like yeah she's obviously not in a good place to want to be a conversationalist tonight and you can clearly see the mom is like trying to gear her up so she could show her off yeah she has no genuine she doesn't seem to have any genuine emotions of like feeling sad for her daughter yeah which you can you can yeah. understand Serena a little bit a more. little bit more I had that note later on I don't like it mm -hmm. but I I have it. 
And then we're back at Lawrence's and Sienna tells June he wants June to pour the commander's drinks instead of her because she wasn't pouring fast enough. But it's definitely because she's he's planning to humiliate June. And as she enters the room, she sees Nick and she's stunned. And he looks so sad. Lawrence is intrigued, right? Like the second that this look occurs between Nick and June, he's clocked like the whole relationship that Fred couldn't manage to figure out for years. <laughs> that whole that whole scene though is just it's just so sad to see like Nick and June see each other and June see that. And then poor Nick looks like he wants to just run away yeah, or help her. But then you have Lawrence clocking the way those two are looking. Then you have Fred looking at those two. And you have Lawrence looking at Fred and, and it's just like, it's just hmm. funny how those four know what's going on. Right. And Lawrence catches on immediately, but the rest of the commanders still have no idea. Do you think yeah. Nick knew that June was uh, Lawrence's hand- handmaid now? I think so. Yeah. I think he was like dreading that so. moment. He looks so embarrassed and she looks like so many right. things are going through her mind because I can only kind of imagine her seeing him in a commander suit and just being like you're one of them now like Ugh. yeah it's just the worst insults at this point i mean Ooh, he didn't for... even know what what was coming for him i think like the last time they saw each other was when they said yeah take care to each other yeah. i guess after the house burned down and then everyone went away so yeah she had no chance of knowing what was yeah i don't think he looks surprised though like she definitely looked shocked and i think he just looks like sad and like god i wish i could like a like, shame talk to her yeah and it was also one of the few times like usually he's really good at hiding his expression but he really yeah that's his, true that's his point. mask was falling oh yeah that's why i was wondering if he's like surprised because he was taken aback so uh-huh. you think like he was just taken aback that she was entering the room where they had this meeting and not yeah. that she was in the house basically that's a good point it's very unlike him to let that happen um, so Calhoun's going on about the fight in Chicago. He wants to bomb them. Lawrence says, no, there is value to be mined there. Children and fertile women. And that is that. I guess he's the boss. Like, that's the end of the conversation when Lawrence says that. I just wanted to point out, it was interesting in both Lawrence's conversations, like the little bits and pieces that we hear, they're trying to bomb people or kill people. And Lawrence is trying not to do that. He's trying to, you know, do the agricultural colonies because there's, value which is what he's going to talk about in the next part that you're going to explain but even here he's trying not to do the salvagings as well so so he is a commander and you know Gilead is about fear and he's very powerful but I see that there's things that he's not okay with even if he acts like he doesn't care and then Calhoun talks about a series of district-wide salvagings starting next week and Lawrence goes on about putting women to use they can be fun and that he continues to humiliate June, and Nick, Nick's staring down at his folder, like, so hard. He lifts his head a little when Lawrence says she was a book editor, and I was wondering, like, did he not know that? They must have discussed that. He must have known she was a book editor. I think he knew. I think he lifted his head more so, because why would Lawrence call that out? Like, why would yeah. he bring that up? So he probably realized, like, because it's dangerous there, too, Something's right? gonna go down now, or if you're calling out the fact that she can read. Right. Mm-hmm. She made a whole yeah. career of it before. I do, I, have, I do like the part, though, where Calhoun looks at Fred when he says, yeah. we don't want our women becoming restless. Do yeah, yeah. I, was, I was dabbing <laughs> Fred. <I was> like... <laughs> then Lawrence orders June to get the descent of man, and everyone watches her, wondering what's going on. And I wrote, at first, like, the first time I watched this, I was like, how is she going to find the book if she can't read? Is she going to get in trouble for, like, reading the title? But then he 
goes on and tells her the exact location and the color of the lettering, which she better not be letting herself put together into a word in her brain. It's just such a stupid fucking place. Sorry. He also played it safe because he told her where the book was just in case she rushed and grabbed it because that would have been like, girl, you're reading. You're fucked. But he did tell her where it was and I think he did it on purpose. I don't think it was to save her though. I think it was to make her feel stupid just uh, overemphasizing the fact that you're not allowed to read. Also to test her, I think, just to see how she's going to react. If, she, if she's behaving like yeah. she's... I think she she's smart her- enough to not to grab the book. Right. That was what I was thinking. Like she, he right, was like is she her. overly she's, cocky where yeah. she's just going to like grab the right one or not listen to him or is she going to play the game? She also took the place that he wanted because she she doesn't have to kneel down to give him the book. She's obviously pissed off. I I would have been pissed off. But at the end when she walks out and he's like, see, women can be useful. Yeah, she played what he wanted her to play. Like she was able to play the part. So that's actually pretty good. That's what she has to do in order to survive and fight Gilead. Nick watches her leave and he looks like he wants to go after her like more than anything in the world. Nick really had to stop himself from running after her. He was so used to that. Yeah, and he can't do that in the scene. And he knows that she's upset a lot. I was thinking when she was walking by this table that she's grabbing a knife from there. From there. I was looking for the knife too. I assumed there would at least be one that she had. Oh, there was the one, but she, 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 she also had her hand like slightly move across it, but she didn't grab Then Rita's with Serena and she's made her uh, prosthetic leather pinky, which was a very nice gift. And Rita tells her she will get through this by his hand. And Serena says, what's left of it? <laughs> I, 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 Yvonne's amazing in this episode. Like, um, why do you guys oh, okay. think that Rita was being so empathetic? Doing that was a very heartfelt gesture for Serena. Obviously, we know Serena has pretty much abused Rita as well. We've seen it in past episodes. So that she had that moment of, of pure heart towards her what do you guys think that was i was gonna say i think it's probably because seeing serena actually do the right thing for once and put nicole ahead of her own needs i think that as women they're all women you know i think i mentioned it in a past episode like how june is able to just see serena and empathize with her being a woman and being in a quote-unquote disadvantaged position even though she's in a more advantaged position than june or for Rita. But I think Rita was able to also see that she was struggling, even though we all know that she kind of made her bed. This is what she cost. But I think at this time it was just different. And she was able to empathize with her as a woman for what she was going through, you know, what happened with, you know, Nicole and the chop chop of her finger. Yeah, I see the same, especially also because Nicole is still alive, but um, not with Serena anymore. So it's the equivalent of losing a child and a reader very well knows how that feels to lose a child. So I think that's maybe also what make her empathize. So after Rita's given her the finger, she walks out to the prayer circle and lets Daniel, whoever that is, convince her to sit in the center and let them pray for her. And then he starts praying for the safe return of Serena's child and for her marriage to heal, which I think blindsides her because her mom's told everybody everything. And he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Let the Lord see you revere your husband. This is the word of the Lord. 
felt like an intervention. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. instead of us being here to pray for you, we're actually here to tell you go back to Fred and yeah they're shaming her for resenting her husband for cutting off her finger like how how awful is that she's come to her mom's mm-hmm. house you always think you can always go to your parents right or you want to think yeah. you can go to your parents when you need this time when you need to heal when you're just depressed and you need some space whatever it is they're there for you and they'll let you have that space to heal and they'll protect you right she and her mom does the opposite of that she calls in this squad of people to like make her feel guiltier and go back to her husband and it's just so fucking shitty it's like a prayer circle with a patriarchy sprinkles on it it's just yeah. disgusting <laughs> it's horrible I'm like are you serious it's awful and it's like um it reminds me of when Eden went home to her parents for safety and protection and instead they turned her into Gilead like the kind of society that would destroy these relationships between parents and children are the kind of people that would be willing to live in that society it's just crazy what i love about this show is how they make even evil characters gray in certain aspects like we've we've obviously we're not big fans of serena based on how she's treated june and everyone but like i i find myself like really empathizing with her and feeling for her here which makes me unhappy because i don't want to feel bad for serena but like i feel awful for her in this episode because her mom is she's just awful you know I mean I don't know if this is a popular opinion I don't think her mom is doing this because she wants to hurt her I think her mom just thinks this is what's best for her as fucked up Mm -hmm. as it is I don't agree with it but as a mom she's just trying with her beliefs to show her the way that she should go to be happy obviously Serena is not happy but you know as a mom she thinks this is what's best for her it isn't obviously so I, I think she's just as any other mom just making a huge mistake unfortunately but I don't think she's doing it because she wants to hurt her I think she just wants to think that she's going to be happy if she just does what she's supposed to do and follow her purpose well like I mean also what's the alternative for Serena I mean she there's nothing that's divorce in in this uh, society anymore right. she's going to the colonies if she's not reconciled with Fred I think so and she's she, protecting her daughter in in that way. But she seems so uncaring to me. I can't buy that she's mm-hmm. a good mom. She doesn't seem like she gives a shit about her feelings. It's the way she delivers it. I definitely agree with you guys as far as her looking out for her daughter and it really shows you like how fucked up the priorities of Gilead are, but she could do it with empathy if she's trying to be a good mom. Totally. She's mm-hmm. not. She can let her daughter feel her feelings, you know, instead of telling her she needs to push them away. And I get that that is a better way to survive Gilead, but I think she's a really shitty mom. It's cool. Yeah. And she's so broken. Like Serena's so broken throughout this whole episode and all her mom does is just like kick her and say things that will make her feel worse. Like you gave your child up and it wasn't even your child. Literally just all the things that could hurt her. Something a little different, but her mom's name. Did you, did you know her name? I saw it was Pamela. Yeah, Pamela Joy, and this is the name that, like, the real name of Serena in the book, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Her name wasn't so, Serena? No, no, in the book, no, Serena, like, Serena that. is the name she gave herself, but her real name is Pamela, and they obviously didn't go with this in the show, but they kind of reused the name of Pamela for her mom, which is I like that they did that. Nice. Yeah, I think also, I like that. Also, this praying circle kind of reminded me of the book as well, because in the book, Serena used to be this television. Oh, televangelist. Yeah, 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 Mm television. Yeah, and that's kind of the same as of the. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. 
to me, the whole episode uh, with Serena and her mother is very painful to watch, but it's true. It's her reality. In Gilead, women are nothing without men. Um, clearly, Serena has more power with Fred than alone. So I think it is tough, but it's true. And she has to face that fact. I love that it goes from the scene into Fred, the next scene. So then yeah. we see Fred in a strangely pink and blue light, blue lit room, and Fred being nostalgic about the beginning of their marriage and how much he worships Serena and how he would dole out little helpings of her like a kid with dessert. The kind of man that would become married to a woman like you, what it does for me or what it did for him. I don't know. A lot of it was still very focused on what it did for him, even though he was trying to Yeah, he was bragging he was yeah bragging. exactly totally um, anyway other men i felt sorry for they didn't get to have you the commander is the head of the household i may not be a perfect man but i will try to be better if i lose you i lose everything and then the camera pans out and you see it's not serena he's apologizing to it's uh jezebel's girl he's practicing his fake apology with a fucking disgusting that you were practicing the monologue that you're going to use And you're yeah. here, Jezebel's with a prostitute. Oh. He's supposed to be better for her as he's sitting there with another woman repeating right. the pattern that he does over and over. It's such a brilliant like reveal, though. I love the way that scene plays out because you're like, is he talking to her? Uh, could not be any better. And it's right after everybody's telling like her she's going to her husband. And oh my God, it's such. And even his speech, is, it doesn't sound like a man who loves his wife. She's just a prize. Yeah, woman. she's a prize. Yeah. She's a trophy. That, like, as yeah. he was saying it, I was annoyed with the words he was saying because they were all really about him and how, like, what a being married to a woman like you makes a man like me. Like, it was literally just all about what he gets as a benefit of being married to her and nothing about actually, like, loving her, you know? Very interesting that he said the commander is the head of the household, just like we heard in the past scene them quoting scripture that said the same thing. The husband is the head of the household, just like God is the head of the church, which is very telling. Right. And it's funny too, because he was like the opposite of the head of his household. Everybody else ruled his household. Then we're with June and she tells us she's not proud of what she's about to do. And she knocks on the door. Lauren seals what? She comes in And he asks, do you think an accountant could make a good cook? And she offers him tea, asks about his long day, tries to kiss his ass, but Lawrence isn't buying it. He asks if she considers herself good at managing people, and she says not particularly. And Lawrence says she seems she'd be good at making friends, influencing people, good at intimacy. And they have this awkward moment where she's ready for him to kiss her. And then he's like, did this really work on Fred? <laughs> Nothing. Doesn't work. I love this thing. Sees yeah, right through great. it. I love it. And then he says, if women don't want to be defined by their bodies, why are they always using them to get what they want? And she says, maybe men are just too easily distracted. I enjoy and this entire interaction because he then points out how she really fucked up the Waterford house, got Fred demoted, Serena defingered, and <laughs> left the house in literal ashes. Do you think they got what they deserved? And I like her answer. Nobody in Gilead gets what they deserve. And then he says, did, you, did they not realize how transactional you are? And that's not untrue. He reads her well. But it's like, like, it's like a product of the patriarchy, though, where he's shaming her for using her womanly ways, like her body to get her way when that's like all she really has. She doesn't have power. 
I also realized when he said that Fred had gotten demoted, I didn't realize that obviously when I saw it the first time, because he was supposed to be the person in charge after Price died. He was the second in command. Yeah, like in the meeting, in the council meeting, there was some commander sitting and some standing, but Fred was still in the uh, in this sitting group. So yeah, maybe he, like, I don't know, did, did he get a promotion for having a baby before? He did. And so he was showing the office, remember? And he was like, I have so much space um, that I don't need. So, so actually he got just got demoted to this position he had before, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that he is back to where he started from but he he still is a big boy in the group of the commanders i think so maybe not like i mean i mean the the most powerful obviously is lawrence at this point right now that nick is a commander obviously we get like oh he's just such a powerful commander when obviously he's not there's a power structure no no um there's old commanders the sons of jacob are the bosses you know and obviously there's going to be a brand new breed of commanders just like there's going to be a brand new breed of handmaid then June says she thinks that he's capable of doing the right thing and points out that he helped Emily. And he asks, do you want to know why I helped Emily? I helped her because she's unnaturally smart and could be useful to the world one day. If you were smart, you would have gotten onto that truck. And June's like, you knew I didn't get on that truck. And he said, I care more about your daughter than I do. I'm trying to save the planet for her, replenishing the human race for her. He asked her what she ever did before Gilead to help editing books instead of picking up her sick daughter from school. People in this episode are good at pushing the other's buttons pretty successfully because June does realize she didn't do enough before Gilead. She, uh, not necessarily about picking up Hannah at school, but she wasn't worried about poverty and fertility and all the, all the different things, um, the planetary worries that would affect her daughter in the future. She was just trying to like live contentedly in her own bubble. And that's how she ended up here. So he pushes her buttons well. She pushes his buttons well because she, she reacts. You wrote the esoteric books. It must be scary seeing the numbers on your spreadsheets turn into real people being executed. You are far worse than worthless. I can see why you'd hold yourself up in a house like this playing stupid games so you can fucking sleep at night. And it's a great point too, because he is far worse than worthless. He he did a great deal of things that were horrible. So I just I think it's unique with Serena I, and with yeah, everybody's hurting each other. I think that's a really good point though, because he doesn't leave his house. And I think part of the reason is because, you know, of his wife and things he wants to hide, but I think he also just doesn't want to face reality of what he helped create, you know, like he, like he's angry with June, you know, he, he calls her out for sleeping with someone else's husband and not saving orphans, which, you know, I understand the point of, I mean, in his eyes, she's not doing good things, you know, before Gilead, but like, realistically, not everybody in the world is going to live a life where you're going out saving orphans and curing poverty and saving the environment every day. Like, it's just, you know, we all live our, I feel like we're all kind of in that situation where it's like you individually, you want to do good things, but at the same time, one individual is not going to save the world. And like, it's like, but if everybody has that attitude, then the world will never be saved. I think this show is great at, at calling you out for it and making you realize that there are other options and maybe you should be more active. Yeah. At the end, he says how tempting it is to invent a humanity for anyone at all. Like Lawrence likes to play like he has no humanity, but he does. You know, he likes to portray that he's not emotional and there's no attachments just to his wife. But I, I think that, that he does. He just shuts it out because it's the only way to survive. And that's what he's going to teach June. 
Yeah, I like that quote about humanity. It kind of reminded me of this one Lizzie interview where she says that she likes um, in June that she's always looking for the good in people. So, which is why she doesn't give up on Serena, you know, Mm -hmm. like she, which I think is also what she sees in Lawrence that there's good in these people, like they're bad people, but she'll find that tiny little speck of goodness and she'll stay with that and try everything she can to get them to change or see it from her perspective uh, when when Lawrence said that that line about um that she didn't pick up Hannah when she was sick um that was before Gilead right so I was wondering like how when did they start to pick all those information and of all the people yeah they said, when did they start with the records because this is crazy I mean, <laughs> they started infiltrating little by little you know obviously we're not going to get like an exact timeline but that's what they did and that scene in the hospital we got we got to see it and it's the, mm-hmm. that lady that kept telling her you know Mrs. Ben Cole and, and she kept saying June so obviously you knew that this was a sons of Jacob believer crazy lady so obviously you know they were they were taking notes just like with Emily at the airport you know they were they were creating their their binders which is what we see in this episode it's just it reminds me a lot of what they did in eastern former eastern Germany I mean, you can still go there and look at your records of the Stasi, like the secret police at that time. That's it's really interesting, can you? Yeah. Yeah, wow. you can. Like my I'm I'm actually like my parents grew up there. So yeah. they, they can actually go there and look at their records. Huh. That's scary. And yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it it's so scary. And and I mean, I didn't know how it was to grow up in that place because Germany was reunited when I was born. But I know the stories and I think it's heartbreaking to hear my parents say that it's it was really hard to trust anybody there because you didn't know who was working for the police there, who was imagine yeah, um, yeah, who was going to read you out for just saying the wrong thing. Yeah. And it's every time I watch this, yeah, every time I watch this show and every time I see like how they how they try to put the like the handmaids against each other or just anybody against each other, it's like, okay, yeah they do that really well it's the same as there it's very effective it's just terrifying how much this show relates to the real world all right that's depressing so lauren says come on let's take a drive and then we're in a warehouse full of cages full of women and i i had that note about reality here too it was like i think this aired around the time of the mexican border cage caged family family yeah he also made the reference of the binders full of women. You remember that? It was Mitt Romney. He used it during a presidential debate in 2012. Um, it was in response to a question about pay equity, referring to ring binders with resumes of female job applicants submitted to him when he was the governor of Massachusetts. So he kept referring to it as the binders full of women. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So Lawrence tells her there will be no salvaging. So we know he succeeded at that meeting today, but they're bound for the colonies. June says they'll all die anyways. But he says, I'll save five. I was able to requisition five as Martha's. And she says, make them all Martha's. And he says, we only have five. You get to choose. She says, no, none of them deserves to die. And he's like, well, if you don't choose, they all die. Be useful for <laughs> once. She says, I'm not responsible for their deaths. You are. Gilead is. And Lawrence is like, you know what? That doesn't matter to these actual women. We're going to die if she doesn't choose. But what's important to you is more important than anything else, isn't it? She continues to refuse, gets back in the car. 
you don't want to like be responsible for, let's say there's a hundred women, you say five for the deaths of 95, but you're saving five. And he's telling her, you get to choose, you know, who do you need? She knows there's a Martha network now. So he's giving her all the tools, except she has to make these difficult choices. And that's the lesson that she's going to have to learn throughout her journey in Gilead. So I, I think this was very important for her to, to understand and as cold and as cruel as it sounds, she has to learn how to play that game. I really, really love this scene. It reminds me of what uh, Bradley Whitford in one in interview or in many interviews said that Handmaid's Tale is just Sophie's choice. <laughs> you make the impossible choices every day. And Serena's on the beach again, smoking in the rain this time at nighttime and seemingly like having a panic attack, extremely devastated. And when she comes inside, her mom is kind of like pretending to coddle her like wants to get her warm and Serena restates that she wishes she hadn't invited those people over and told them everything about her and her marriage and her mom smirks and says now that I know that I won't do it again like completely disingenuously and she's trying to make her mom understand you want me to go back to Fred but she's trying really hard to understand how terrible her marriage was how she felt in it and the things that they did like raping June perhaps uh at nine months pregnant her mom refuses because she says none of it matters she says you need everything to be exactly how you want you spoiled little girl and serena's crying and saying she's sorry and her mom tells her there's no place in this world for serena without fred uh i think she's the worst mom ever and i also wrote you kind of mentioned it earlier ginger but the writing on this show is incredible i keep feeling sympathy for serena for fuck's sake and stop it she's a monster stop making me feel things for her it's really annoying and her mom sounds like Aunt Lydia, when she says, spoiled little girl, by the way, she tells her to stop being dramatic, says it's the worst thing in the world to watch your child in pain, the worst pain any mother can bear, all while looking merely annoyed by her daughter actually feeling pain. So yeah, maybe I can see in part why Serena turned out to be who she is. And Pamela says, stop giving into those feelings of pity. You gave that baby away and it wasn't even yours. So this is another instance of pushing buttons like unbelievably successfully. She didn't have to kick her when she was down by saying it wasn't even yours. Yes, it's true. And I would like to say that Serena, but her mom should not be saying that to Serena. I kind of like the paradox of her calling out Gilead as in saying like, none of these babies belong to these wives and commanders. Yet at the same time, pushing Serena back to Fred and wanting her to go back to a life where we're just pretending that these are a family and this is the way it should be. I just find it interesting that she says, you know, there's no place in this world for you without Fred when in the other world, she had a pretty good place and she didn't need Fred. It was actually quite the opposite. Fred needed her in order to build this whole world. She was the voice, she was the fire. And now she's basically nothing without Fred. She actually does need to go back to him because without a husband she and a baby, she has no power in this society. And I think that kind of parallels to what we've seen of Holly and June. You know, Holly was teaching June the exact opposite, that she could be someone and that she didn't need a man. And then Pamela is just on the completely other side of, you know, you're nothing without a husband. So it's incredible. And then we are back at Lawrence's and Nick's knocking on the front door and Beth's excited to answer the door when she sees him and then disappointed and says, you're not here for me. And the script notes have a scene here that they cut where they do have a moment as friends. And I would have enjoyed seeing that because we haven't seen Beth and Nick together what since 
season, season one. one. Yeah. And he asks like how she is and she says, I'm scared. And they embrace. He also says to him, you look ridiculous in that get up. And he says, I know. Yeah. And I really, I really <laughs> wish they kept that. Both of those, because I think it would have been nice to see like, yeah, them friendship have a nice. moment and though like Nick doesn't want to be a commander. Yeah. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. right. I think we all think that's clear, but I just feel like yeah. people <laughs> think that he chose yeah. this situation and he did not. So I think that's it would have been one tiny little line would have helped to make it clear that he doesn't want to be a part of this in this ridiculous get up in this terrible situation either I do like though that Beth can read him so well because she instantly knew he was not there for her Mm, I mean I think she she probably remembered that he was sweet on the handmaid back in season one but that was that was in the recap that scene that that scene that Ginger's talking about it was on the recap yeah then Nick is lightly tapping on June's door, but when he comes inside, their reunion is not as happy as we're used to. She's mad. She asks how this happened, how he became a commander, and he says it was his due. What do you guys think he meant by that? Do you think he meant his punishment uh, for helping June and Holly yep. escape? Mm-hmm. Yes, that was my that was my thought. I mean, I hold on to that line for the longest time. Like, what the fuck does he mean it was it his due? It could be a like, very annoying line, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, obviously, we saw that with the Eden wedding. Guardians are supposed to be promoted. I'm pretty sure Gilead has that kind of system where they make you feel that if you're good to Gilead, you'll be promoted, but it's bullshit and you only get promoted if you have the ends with a commander. He's not actively campaigning to be a commander. Like, we have not seen that in any of his scenes. So then I started thinking with the rewatch and past episodes that we've talked about, his due is pretty much his consequence for helping June. He's not going to tell her that, obviously. But I think that's pretty much it. You know, like, I got from I got married off to a 15 year old girl because I was worried about your mental health and I played my card with Serena and then obviously Fred wasn't going to really say what happened in his house because it just makes his house not be in order it makes him look bad so instead of having him on the wall he'd just rather promote him and send him off to the war to die which is far worse punishment and make him a commander which is something that I'm pretty sure we know he doesn't want so that's what I got from that line the third time I rewatch. Yeah, and I think well, we talked about this in the 212 recording because when Nick was in Fred's office, like when they're hanging that awful picture and he mentioned something about like him getting a promotion or whatever. Like I think that and then the fact like Scarlett just said where Nick helped June escape and helped Nicole escape was basically the due that Nick is finally receiving here. Yeah. I mean we also have this was it a podcast interview from Joseph Fines? who basically confirmed that Fred was responsible for his promotion to punish him so he would get sent to the front to basically die, as June says. Yeah, I don't know if it was a podcast or what. We should have looked that up, but it's definitely what Joe Fine said in the interview, that that was his punishment for, for Nick was sending him to Chicago, and the only way that he could do that in their situation was to promote him to commander. So that was his due. I mean, also, it, it's like being a commander for Nick is way more risky, I think. I mean, we know that he's ties to whatever underground network. He's having black market deals or deals to get handmaids out. Or he's an eye on top of that. So he's he's a spy. He's spying on, on the commanders. I mean, it's even better now. <laughs> so it's closer to them. <laughs> but, but he's also more on the open, I think more watched by everyone the more power you get the more you're watched by everyone else i think he, he's not under the radar anymore right commander now yeah it's very different 
Uh, June says you're a commander now. You can get me and get Hannah and get us out. And he says he's sorry. And she says, Lawrence is a psychopath. What do you know about him? And Nick says he's too high up. And then she asks, what can you do? What are you good for? And he says he's getting deployed to Chicago. And she says, you'll get killed. And he doesn't argue that. He just says, I wanted to say goodbye. Like, he knows he's likely to get killed, right? He just wanted to say goodbye to her because he loves her. And she meanly spits out, goodbye, as if she doesn't care. And he takes it in, he looks to the side, he does a sad head nod, and then he leaves the room. And then June quickly realizes the mistake she's made. She says no, and rushes to the door. And then there's the sweetest scene. I love the music in the scene. Adam Taylor. Mm -hmm. And I love how he's waiting outside the door, his eyes closed, hoping she comes around and that she does. He knows how she is. She's impulsive and angry and he knows to wait her out because she loves him. And when she opens the door, he opens his eyes, but he still waits for her hand to reach around the door frame to his, which it does. And it's just so like him knew. though, like him yeah. giving her that autonomy for her to make that decision to touch him and bring him in. Yeah. And it's like, that. he knew that was how she was going to reconnect too, because that's kind of their thing, you know, with their hands, it's always been special and it mm -hmm. connects them. And yeah, I don't know, he doesn't, he doesn't reach out for her, but you can tell that he's waiting for her like hand to touch his. And then immediately, like, I like how he grabs her like three fingers or whatever it is. Cause I watched that way too many times. And then uh, they lock the fucking door. Like, come on <laughs> guys, bring us with you. We've been with so you on this mean. whole journey. Why would you lock us out now? It hurts. Yeah. It hurts her so many <laughs> This scene guts me every time. Like I know. I Poor feel Nick. so bad. Like, I really feel so bad for Nick. And and like for once he's asking, I feel like he's asking yeah. for something from her. And it's so rare that he asks for something from her. I feel like he's like, Can I just take your love with me? Like onto the mm. battlefield to die? Like, is that okay? Can I just and she's like, No. She's also the only thing he has in Gilead. It's the only person that he's going to have to say goodbye to. The only person that he loves. And she just, she was really mean. I love June, but she was really mean. Obviously, she had a difficult day. She had to see the, this was, I think, right after the binders, uh, yeah. the woman. Caged woman. And, yeah. Obviously, she's not happy. She doesn't understand why he's a commander. And obviously, she feels so comfortable that she can push him. You know, I know she gets a lot of criticism for it, but it's just, she doesn't have really that much people that she can I don't know lash out and just express her anger and obviously she knows that she can do that with him which she obviously regrets and, and knows she made a huge mistake could be like legitimately the last time right he might actually but, die but I think all of us we all take out more on the people that we love just because we can and we know they love us and it, it's okay but Scarlett so. I think I think you make a good point though when you say June is all Nick has but I also feel like and again, I don't like how mean June is, but I understand it because right now, like Nick is all she has as well, as far as like someone who truly understands her. She's in this house now. She doesn't really have anyone that she can trust. So like they only have each other. They can truly trust and be themselves. But unfortunately, they're just different in the sense that June needs to be able to express her real feelings, which right now is anger and fear. And Nick just wants to seek comfort from her because 
and he thinks he's probably going to die. So I just feel like she's reeling from what just happened with Lawrence and finding out that Nick is the commander, which I'm sure just shocked her to the core. And, you know, like you said, Kate, she's taking it out on the person she loves the most because she knows that he's going to let her do that without any kind of punishment. And then, of course, he the tears in his eyes just stabs me in the heart. It just hurts. Kate, you mentioned the music and I noticed when I was watching at my job so I could finish the episode before the recording. After that scene ends, there's a shot of June sitting by the morning room and she has the cereal bowl. She looks really sad and the same music from the scene before is playing. So I think I can assume that she was still obviously sad because he left obviously to the war. But I hadn't noticed that the scene ties together and then it made me think of the happier scene in season one when she's eating her cereal and she's all flirty and stuff. That scene seems so so empty. I don't know if you guys noticed it. No, but that's a really sad parallel. And then Serena is at Lawrence's house asking June if she thinks of Holly and June says all the time. She says the politician and Holly came from Serena and Serena finally admits she's not my child. And then they start talking about the commander's <clears throat> and June says, you're scared, Serena, use it. Maybe we're stronger than we think we are. I felt like when Serena asks June how how she's going to stop to think about Holly, that reminded me a lot of this one scene with Nick and June in the sitting room where he admitted that he's thinking about them all the time and June tells him to just stop and he couldn't do it. So she can also not tell Serena how to stop thinking about Nicole, obviously, because she doesn't know how to do that as well. I like um, the contrast between Serena and June in terms of how they feel in, in the scene about, about Holly. I see that June is obviously at peace and she knows that Holly's safe, out of Gilead, free. And obviously Serena's still very distraught. I don't doubt that Serena cares for Holly, but, but deep down I, I also think she sees it more as kind of like the justification of the decisions that she's made that she might be regretting. And June, obviously, well, she's she's a mother, it's a real mother. So it's that parallel of how they both feel or express their feelings of Holly being gone is is interesting. I feel like it's also kind of like a parallel between Serena's mom is not empathetic at all and not like giving her that motherly love that she needs. And June seems like she's doing that with Serena where she's giving her, you know, she's not her mother, obviously, but she's giving her like that motherly love and comfort that Serena is looking for, which I think is kind of proving Lawrence's point where he was saying she's got, you know, she's got people skills and she's good at like intimacy. And I feel like she's using that with Serena to try to get through to her and kind of try to help her like say look you're in pain did the right thing giving up our daughter use that pain and do something with it and make a difference and help other mothers who've had their children taken away so she's trying to use those skills that Lawrence seemed to shame her for but she says maybe we're stronger than we think we are I think it's kind of a parallel because earlier in the episode she said that Serena's tough she'll be okay but yeah I love that it leads into June smiling in Lawrence's office about a decision she was completely unwilling to make earlier and she puts folders on his desk I made my choices do you know what song they were playing? It's How Does It Feel by Roy Harper. And it feels so fitting as Serena is walking into the ocean. You know, I think obviously water has symbolism throughout the whole show. And then we see that Fred pulls up, I guess, to get her and she just walks past him. You know, I guess maybe symbolizing that she doesn't care. She doesn't. I mean, I think it's open because she could just be walking towards him. Um, you know, because she knows that she has to basically stay with him if she wants to survive Gilead or she's just walking past him because he's just shit. I mean, I would hope it's a second one. 
I think she made her choice to not get back with Rhea. I like that. that. Like, that's how I read it, at least. Because she, she was not really looking at him at all. Going back to what I was saying to like that conversation between June and Serena, as far as like June trying to get Serena to use her pain. I think that's basically what she's saying in her voiceover because she says, you know, she's talking about her mom saying, mother, uh, I think wherever you may be, can you hear me? You wanted a woman, a woman's culture. Well, now there is one. It isn't what you meant, but it exists. And here's what we do. We watch them, the men, we study them, we feed them, we please them. We can make them feel strong or weak. We know them well. We know their worst nightmares. And with a bit of practice, that's what we'll become nightmares. One day when we're ready, we're coming for you. Just wait. So basically that's what she's trying to tell Serena, like trying to instill in her. And then like, I love at the end, the very last shot is June, like with her arms spread apart on the table. Like she's commander June, you know, like she's the the leader here. And she's, it's like, she's accepting, like, this is how it's got to be. Like Lawrence's sick lessons have kind of like seeped in and that's what she's trying to do now yeah and it's full circle from the beginning of the episode when she's looking at the marthas that likely were killed because of her too but now she understands it's the cost of doing business all right so i think that is a wrap on our spoiler free discussion of this episode we are going to move into our deep dive discussion now which will talk about the episode in the context of the show to date and if you're a new watcher you might not want to hear that okay deep dive in the beginning of this episode, in June's voiceover, she says, um, you know, t- talking about those hangings and then says, like, not for being part of the resistance, because officially there is no resistance, not for helping people escape, because officially there's no such thing as an escape. I love the foreshadowing of those. Like she's saying, officially, there's no resistance, yet we know there is one. And we know, like, Nick is involved in the resistance, because we've seen, you know, throughout the season of him, like helping her and then we see like in season four that he's got his friendlies and he's got those marthas who have no fear and back talking to him and i really really hope in season five we see more of like what he's actually doing in the resistance i kind of like how they're trying to show it figuratively and i think we saw a lot of signs of that in uh, 409 when june meets nick at the school and they're showing the american resistance books and all that stuff So I like that. And then I also like the line saying officially there's no such thing as an escape, which I think kind of shows June's journey in season four where she escapes to Canada, but she's she can't escape Gilead. Like Aunt Lydia told her Gilead is always within you and she struggles with being free. So I really like those lines. Do you think that this happening like of episode two and now that they killed a lot of Marthas is the reason why people have been so like hesitant to help June with the angels flight later in the season yeah completely and also I saw that this parallel about season five season four because June says a light that she needs allies with power and mm-hmm. during season three she makes Lawrence her ally and in season four at the end of season four it's not just Lawrence it's Nick but I like this circumstances that make Nick an ally during season one and season two in season three he's not there but in season four he's he's back as a ally and and one with power but a power that he got because of the killing that June did. Yeah, as soon as she said that the allies with power line, I immediately thought of Nick and Lawrence. And I, I hope we see more of that in season five. But yeah, I think 
Nick has always been her ally with power. Like, it's not like he's had a lot of power in the first few seasons, but because he's a man, he automatically had more than her. And then we see that grow as he becomes a commander and then gets her information on Hannah and then helps her kill Fred. Same thing with Lawrence. I think that June's journey in the season, I know it's been heavily criticized because, you know, she turns dark. But I think, you know, this episode is kind of like the beginning of the lessons that she has to take in. And I kind of see a parallel between Lawrence and Aunt Lydia, because Aunt Lydia is always teaching girls their lessons, but she wants them submissive and, you know, obeying the patriarch society and serving their purpose where Lawrence kind of gives them survival skills in a way and teaches them how to maybe be stronger and sees like he sees in Emily, you know, and in June and just kind of polishes that off in order for them to be like the episode says useful so I really like this episode because it like you guys are talking about it stems to her journey to what happens you know who she becomes in season three and what she has to do in season four so it's really interesting I just had a, a quick parallel between Lawrence and Nick because in this episode um Nick tells June that he can't find anything about Lawrence he's too high up and then in season four it is actually Nick who saves Lawrence's life mm-hmm. so I thought that was you know, interesting little parallel there. Do you think he, like, he knew that Lawrence helped June or that he was just assuming that he did? I'm not sure because there's that conversation where Lawrence tells Nick, you know, this is a... What is it that he says? The Tao, the Tao of June Osborne. Is it that in the first then, episode is like, this is that... June's legacy or this is... Yeah. And, and that kind of like, I think that's how Nick finds out you know, exactly. had something. Um, so you think that's... like maybe J-Law was speculating on Nick getting involved here. So he mentioned June on purpose, maybe because he knew that they had this connection. I think Lawrence think so. starts talking about some things to make Nick realize of the danger at the moment with the war. And when Nick doesn't care about those things, he mentioned June and, and Nick is like, what? Like, you know, like he pay attention because Lawrence mentioned June. I still wonder Not though, because. or Nick knew that June was in Lawrence's house and he, I'm sure he found out very quickly that June was responsible for the angels flight. I just wonder if Nick had a suspicion already that Lawrence was like helping June or that they had some sort of a relationship because she was able to pull that off while living under his household. And I don't, and then because Nick is involved in the resistance, I wonder if he was aware of the Martha network. I wish we knew, like, does Nick know that there's a Martha network that yes. uses yeah. Lawrence's house? So I feel like before episode 401, he had to have known maybe that there's like a possibility that they were allies, but maybe he didn't know for sure until Lauren said the Tao of June Osborne. And that just Mm. confirmed it for him and made him think like, okay, now I have to save this guy. When I was watching the finale, I realized, I think you guys mentioned it in, in previous recording, if he planned her escape or not. I honestly don't think he planned her escape the second time. But I'm pretty sure he knew about it, you know, just because of the fires and just because he went to the house just to see her leave. And just because in the next episode, he says, you know, do you know many, how many people risk themselves to get you out? So so he knew about the Martha Network. I don't know. Like, it gave me the impression that he had been doing that for a while when I rewatched this second time. 
I, yeah, I agree with that. And I'm just wondering, like, how, what does he know about it? Like, does he know that they operate out of Lawrence's house? Like, I wish we knew those kind of details. And I really hope that, like, we'll get more involved in stuff like that in season five. The thing that I remember just quickly that I was talking about the Lawrence, Lawrence and Nick and kind of parallel this past episode two, Lawrence is trying to avoid the bombings and the salvagings. And then as four, that was my he's note, also yeah. trying to do the ceasefire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my bad. <laughs> No, no, not bad at all. No, I'm glad you brought it up. It was just like, I, I was rushed and I was like, he really does not want to bomb Chicago. I was like, an, I have another note on um, Serena and Rita because I think you were asking um, why Rita was empathizing with Serena. And I was also wondering if this time those two had at um, Serena Serena's mother's house was the reason why Serena assumed that Rita is her friend in season four yeah when maybe. she got the news about her baby and uh you've been my yeah you've been my friend right. and you've been there and I, I thought like maybe this time they've been together at Pamela's place that maybe that kind of cemented something yeah some deeper she, connection there yeah she went Rita went above and beyond to be nice to her but I had that note too just that Rita's ability to forgive Serena and consider like um I think Amanda Brugal even said in an interview that she could see Rita helping to raise Serena's baby like with Serena she needed it. and that to me feels like appalling since she was enslaved to do so before but I guess it's a little bit Stockholm syndrome and people that you know like right now Rita knows like nobody in Canada they can't find her nephew they can't find her sister and unfortunately Serena's the person she knows intimately and she's having a baby and she's good at taking care of things and so I could see that too I don't want to see that necessarily but I could see that I had that same note too it's an interesting dynamic mm -hmm. ultimately she decided kind of against Serena I guess because she told Fred about the baby and that's something Serena didn't want. It was interesting though to me in that scene too in season four or those scenes how she was kind to Serena she was kind of like falling for Serena or it seemed like she was Serena's will you know help me take care of the baby and then with Fred she was like fuck you and I'm like wait I'm confused I hate Fred too but Serena is the one that's like slapped you and like treated you even like more personally shitty right mm-hmm. am I wrong like mm-hmm. I don't think Fred probably did anything personally shitty to her except for owning her like a used Subaru or whatever she said I thought it was unique that she feels more affection towards Serena yeah, but I think that kind of goes along with the whole we're talking about June and now even Rita, they see this episode, we've all felt empathy for Serena against our will. <laughs> and that resonates in June that resonates in Rita. And so they remember that whereas Fred, there's really never been he's the one character you don't really see gray moments with him. He's just bad pretty pretty much so like he has no redeeming qualities whereas serena has done lots of terrible things but then with moments like this episode and some moments that we see in season three and her actually being able to give nicole up maybe she can change they remember those moments versus what fred has literally done nothing good for these women at all i think you're right but also i wonder serena's never done anything nice for rita right have we ever seen her do something like randomly nice for rita she offered her alcohol oh you're right because she was drinking (laughs) 
she wants someone to drink with. <laughs> no, that's true. I yeah, I feel like she's been pretty shitty to Rita. I mean, Serena hasn't been nice to me, and I feel more pity for her than I do Fred. So I guess it seems like she produced totally a lot of laundry of the baby. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's just sorority, you know, like sorority, yeah. they they feel like connected because they're yeah. both women and they both loved Holly. I just have one more note. When June picks the Marfas at the end of the episode, right? Uh-huh. We see one later at some point, right? When 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 she killed uh, Commander Wilson, right? Yeah, Winslow, yeah. not Wilson, but Commander Winslow in at Jezebel's, and she met that Marfa, and she's grateful and well gets rid of the body for her. So good choice. That's June. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that makes me love the writing in this show. Well, another parallel that I saw was in this episode, June has to save five Marthas and Lawrence is trying to explain to five is better than none. It just reminded me of 409, right? June is talking to Lawrence on the phone. You know, he says, I'll trade you 10 kids from the angel's flight and I'll try to get Hannah. And then he had, you know, June's like, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, you're not even going to bargain. And it just kind of shows the paradox of Lawrence, right? He tries to do good in his own way. You can tell that he does care, but at the same time, like he's still capable of bargaining for people's lives. In his mind, he sees it as, yeah, you're going to save five Marthas. That's better than killing a hundred. We're just going to kill 95 or like 10 angels flight kids. Oh, let's bargain and make it five. Whereas in June, like she doesn't operate like that. Like she's like yeah i'm saving five marthas but you're still gonna get rid of 95 or can't even bargain for 10 children versus five because i'm not gonna steal children away from their parents i wish so much that we got like a little bit more between nick and beth i wish there was a little conversation and like i said i wish they didn't cut those couple lines out that were in the scripts i was surprised when i first saw this season because i was shocked that june and beth lived in the same house yeah and there was never a conversation about nick like i'm not saying they needed to discuss specifics but I guess, you know, it was sad for all of us that Nick is not in this season very much. Yeah. But I wish that we could have at least gotten, you know, voiceovers from June, like telling us how she feels or Beth was the perfect person for her to have like a small conversation about the kind of man that Nick is. Because, you know, we, we get, we're we left in episode six where Serena tells June like, oh, Nick helped create Gilead or whatever. It would have been nice to have her use that ally and Beth and kind of like, tell us how she's feeling about him or I just felt like that was a missed opportunity there was no conversation or acknowledgement at all that they knew of it because I'm sure Beth had to have known she has to know that June is Nick's handmaid that he's sweet on definitely yeah me too re Beth and June how do you think that conversation would have gone too I feel like Beth would like literally drop I don't know some sort of just like friendship knowledge about Nick (laughs) that June didn't know and make June feel I don't know something what do you how do you think it would have gone I guess I was looking for more to be like I don't know June's feelings on Nick or like what she's thinking or like especially like I said like later in the season when Serena makes her stupid comment and June is confused June knows the kind of man that Nick is So like, it always kind of bothered me that they left that hanging and then nothing ever resulted from that. So you picture Beth being like super sweet about him because I picture her being like bitchy to June about it. No, I feel, I feel it more of like 
supportive because Beth cares about Nick. They weren't in love or anything, you know? But she was disappointed when he came to the house for June and not her. She was disappointed, but she didn't seem like jealous or mad. I think it's more like, hey, you're my friend, but oh wait, like we're not in love and I think it seemed jealous. Love her upstairs. Did you guys not feel jealousy in the door greeting? I didn't. Mm -hmm. I felt I just felt disappointment. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm super shocked that they wasted the best June opportunity with whatever direction they want to take it. Just having a Nick conversation would have been cool. Yeah. Again, but she not having any conversation with anybody else about Nick. You don't think that's an accident? I hope they will have uh Beth come back to life. No, but at least a June June with somebody talking about Nick scene and season five. Please. It would be nice if it would be Moira or Rita, I think, because like I mean, Moira said, okay, now you have, and now we have a good man in Gilead, so that could be a like starting right. point for a conversation, I think. Yeah, and Rita I would also obviously. would also accept her talking to Nick about Nick. That would be nice, but no, I heard that. I mean, I want more of that, like a lot more of that. That's what I mean. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yes, I will also <laughs> accept a lot of that. But yes, but, I would love for her to talk to anybody, well, not anybody. I need it to exist outside of hmm. her brain and Nick's. The way that I deal with her not talking about Nick is just that I think it's something so personal to her that she just keeps it, you know, for her. Because I feel people are not going to understand and they're just going to be like, how we read on the internet, like he's a commander, you know, it's trauma bonding. And I just... I don't want to hear people saying that because I know that's not true. So that's kind of like my head canon. This is just hers and she doesn't have to prove it to anybody because she knows that it's real. I like that. I'm going to bring up when June said to Nick, what are you good for? I know Scarlett, oh, you had something about that. I have this thing with the June, like Nick calls out, call outs, you know, the things that he's, she's told him that kind of make him react. And in this episode, she tells him, you know, what are you good for? What can you do? Um, and I think obviously we see in season four, just we see him a little bit more closer to doing resistance stuff. I mean, I know it's not clear for people, but as we mentioned earlier, the file on Hannah, the friendlies in the area, in the border, the eyes take maintaining practical control. Like it's just clear to see that he has he has something going on. Obviously, the conversation with the Marthas as well. You know, the Marthas really don't give a fuck that he's a commander. They treat him like whatever. So I think that. After that conversation, he slowly just started to realize that he could use this power that he didn't want for better use. People always say, oh, he's only helping Dune. He's not doing anything else. But that's how people start. You don't go full Rambo, full martyr. Like When you're in these types of situations, I think you kind of try to protect the people that you love. And, you know, I've always seen that he kind of admires that fire and she pushes him to be better just like he tries to help her to survive so i think those they parallel each other well in that sense that's kind of what i was trying to say earlier like i know no one likes that june was mean to nick in this scene but what i really love about him is that talked about this so many times where he lets her vent and say her true feelings which in this scene like they're ugly feelings but that's just how she feels you know he lets her do that And not only does he let her do that, but like he's absorbing what she's saying. It seems like he's disregarding like the mean, harsh things and picking out where she says, what are you good for? 
And he takes that to heart and thinks about it. And is like, she's looking for me to use this position now to help her, which he does, which I think is really what motivates him in 409 to proactively get information on Hannah. But now he's trying to do more. And I just, I really love that about him that he doesn't just like take it personally because anybody could hear that and just be offended and just forget about it. But he, he can read her so well and just understands her and like cares about her feelings, even her bad ones so well that it literally changes who he is and what direction he goes in. Well, yeah, she changed me. She changed you, right? <laughs> exactly. Good point. My only other note was, have you guys, we haven't seen Cora ever since, right? No. No. I think Cora was hanging. I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think Lawrence has a habit of killing people. I don't think Lawrence has had anybody, I mean, well, the colonies are a straight folk, never mind. Like, I don't think Lawrence has had anybody killed. Everybody <laughs> created the colonies. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think he yeah. created the colonies, the nuclear colonies. I think that was just a fallout from the war. Yeah, I think, yeah. I don't think the colonies in terms of the nuclear, claiming the nuclear waste was part of his colony. I think what he meant, yeah. is my assumption, is just to have working colonies. Like if you have a prisoner, you have them working towards building a better economy and it being green because he's all about making everyone useful. I mean, it's a little fucked up because I don't think he meant to have people kind of sent to the colonies because they were unfaithful or because they were gay. I don't think that's what he stood for. Right. I think he wanted something different. I mean, he wrote, like, I paused on the books on the shelf, like on his books, the ones uh -huh. he wrote on the shelf. And he wrote a book about women's work in coffee spoons, which was essentially analyzing women work hours, kind of. And also he was researching ways of relaunching the mercantile economy. So yeah, it's exactly like you said. He wants that everybody in society has like a part in making it work, does their part. And so I think like the woman workforce was, is still also for us today, like a very important matter of economy. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why he, he said like, send them to the colonies instead of being killed he said the agricultural colonies yeah yeah it's interesting that half of those commanders just want to get rid of any woman doesn't matter if they did something wrong or not right stone them to death right they wanted the part to execution salvaging right. yeah. salvaging i can say i can't say the p word Particution. Particution. Participation. I think there's an extra. Um, yeah. that... It's part participate and execution. Lovely yeah. word, red invented. <laughs> Do you guys have any other notes? I, I have an observation. No observations are not welcome. <gasps> well, it's, it, it's about Nick and June. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love and hate the scene like between Nick and June because it like where he comes to her room because it's just so sad, but like it ends you know, where like their connection is still so strong, but it's just so heartbreaking. I guess what makes me sad slash happy at this point going forward is that like starting now, like this is a new era in their relationship. Like everything we've seen in season one and two, like they live in the same household. Yeah. Their relationship the good was old days. different. <laughs> yeah, the good old days. And now like this is truly like this scene is truly the beginning of the new era in their relationship where now going forward, every single time they see each other, they think is going to be the last time they see each other. 
I think that's why it makes this scene like a little bit more painful because, you know, besides the fact that they had like an argument, I guess you can call it that, you know, she realizes like once he says he's going to Chicago that he can die. And then like when we, they see each other in episode six, same thing, like it's right before he deploys. So again, it's like that could be the last time she sees him because he could die. And then she sees him in season four in episode three. And like she thinks she's going to the colonies, the Magdalene colony. And then she ends up in Canada and again, doesn't think she's going to see him again. Same thing with 409. And then I'm assuming, I mean, I don't know what she felt in the finale. I mean, I guess I felt more hopeful, but. I guess it's just sad that like this era and their relationship changes. But at the same time, what I like about their little hand touch, like I said earlier, it's just, it always amazes me, like how something so small, like just touching fingers is just so powerful. It kind of shows like, even though they have this ocean between them, as far as him being a commander, her being a handmaid, you know, him being deployed, they may never see each other again. Like all they have to do is touch hands and they have that connection that nobody can break. And we see that going forward, especially like that's why I love the bridge scene so much in 403, because like in just all of their scenes in in season four, where like they're the only two people that can bring each other that peace. And you see that like in this episode where they're still like sad and devastated. All they had she has to do is like pull him into her room. And I wish we saw that something, but. I just imagine that that was their like last night together, you know, and they probably brought each other that peace they needed to keep them going, which they always bring to each other. Uh, And then I do like the parallel too of her locking the door because her door didn't lock at the Waterford house. I know that a lot of people don't really love season three because someone's missing from the season, but my headcanon going back to the headcanon is that he needed to be away in order for her to completely go the way that she had to go because he's the one that kind of like centered her or gave her the space that she needed to to be a little bit more I don't know comfortable not comfortable that's a horrible word to use in Gilead just to be a little bit more rounded and you know living there that's how I kind of like process it I like that a lot I love the angle that this is during season and she needed to become who she was going to become and then when that was over in season four he's back to help ground her she's the rebel that she is now and they still have their connection solidly. He still grounds her, but she's a fighter now. She's what Lawrence helped her become as well in season three. And I think what makes season four sweeter is that I do agree that she needed to be alone this season to become who she became. And, you know, some people think she turned too dark. In some ways you can say that, but what makes season four sweeter for me is that he still loves her. Nothing has changed for him. Like, in fact, I think he probably loves her more and he accepts her. And we see like she goes to Canada and nobody understands her and they don't, they can't relate to her, like even Moira. So I think it's still like just even more powerful that they're apart for all this time, but they still have that connection. And he still just completely accepts her and loves her for whoever she'll become. Yeah, and that's huge because she's changed a lot in the season that they've been apart and he loves her just as much and he's like, well, he literally just loves the like core of who she is and whoever she'll become and, and, and he, obviously he has a better understanding of it because he's there, but the entire way he's just loved everybody that she's been and I remember seeing an interview that where Bruce said that when Nick met Luke, it made him love 
June more because the fact that she would love somebody like Luke made him love her more. Like every single thing he's ever found out about her makes him love her more. Even like the bad things. I mean, how incredible is that? That's why we're here. Yeah. That's because this love story is like insanely epic. So it I'm is. Like, see where it goes. You know, some people say like the reason why June and Nick bonded is because, you know, like like Lizzie said, like they've been through a war together. They've seen things together that nobody else can understand. And I definitely think that's a big reason why they've bonded. But like he wasn't there for season three. He didn't see everything that happened after she left DC and everything that she had to do in order to get to where she could do the angels flight and end up being tortured and all that stuff in season four. And I think that actually makes it even more powerful. Like not only did they bond because they went through something that no one can relate to, but then she went through something that he wasn't there for and he can't like technically relate to, yet it changed nothing for him. If it did change anything, it just made their connection stronger, which is just mind boggling to think. It's just another reason why this love story is just so powerful, even though I it's not that, like the main objective of the show. I think that also changed her perspective because she became, she finally understood that she has to do shitty shit in order to survive just like he had to do and so that that's why I think season four is so important because they're kind of at, at the same level in in terms of you know understanding that they are still who they are even though they've done unfortunately questionable things that you wouldn't do in a normal free society which I think is why she so easily forgives him for everything like for whatever you know Anything that he might have done, like with, you know, becoming a part of the SOJ and then like having to arrest her and all that stuff like that. I think that's why it's there's no need for her to even hear him say I'm sorry in 403 on the bridge because she really gets it now. Yeah. Like not that she didn't get it before, but like she, now she really, really gets it. Mm -hmm. OK, I think that's a wrap on our analysis of season three, episode three of The Handmaid's Tale. Come back on Thursday for our analysis of episode four. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.